Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I can't believe I'm recording myself doing this. If you're in New York and you happen to find yourself around Union Square and you need to go to the bathroom, walk west on 22nd Street until you get to the boutique with the toilets in the window. Although you might not recognize them as toilets because they look more like Noguchi sculptures or high-end side tables. Maybe just look for the big black sign that says Toto in white letters. And if you walk in, nod to the gallery attendant, and walk with purpose all the way to the back, their bathroom has a demonstration toilet that technically, they say, the general public is free to use. Oh my God, so this is a Neorest 700H. This toilet costs over $7,000. The lid opens automatically to greet you when you walk in. Oh, it's heated. <laughs> but the special thing about this toilet is that it doesn't require toilet paper. I mean, there is still toilet paper in the room if you want it, but the seat has an air dryer built into it, which you use after a spray of water comes on to clean your butt, which has multiple settings. Okay, I'm hitting oscillate. From New York Magazine's Curbed and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Nice Try. <laughs> I'm Avery Truffleman. Okay, I'm gonna hit Pulsate. Gotta admit, feels pretty nice. Toto is a Japanese company that has been in the US since 1989. And these are top of the line, water efficient, maximum luxury toilets. These are the Teslas of toilets. So it's very fun to lampoon them as either weird and freaky or just absurdly fancy. Because this is truly cutting-edge technology Toto is working with. So that is a titanium dioxide zirconium glaze. And it is super hydrophilic, photocatalytic. So anything that comes in the bowl sheets off. And impressively, the Toto representative was able to comprehensively describe the various ways her company's toilets effectively clean poop without ever actually saying the words butt or poop. As far as bidet, I mean, um, I suppose that people um, who have never experienced water to cleanse the undercarriage, you know, your undercarriage, um, find that unusual. And the number of Americans who have never used water to clean their undercarriages, I reckon, is quite high. Because in this country, by and large, the bidet is not included in our holy trinity of bathroom fixtures. The toilet, the bath, and the sink. And every so often, the question reemerges: why not the bidet? It is the red-headed stepchild of the bathroom. The forgotten fixture. The one devoted to cleaning our most private parts in the most private room of our most private home. Just a note on nomenclature, I'm going to use the word bidet to refer broadly to any device that involves using water to clean your butt. 
whether that's a standalone fixture, separate from a toilet, or an attachment in the toilet. And usually, unless they have a built-in dryer, bidets don't tend to entirely replace toilet paper. But they do make you use much less of it as a sort of pat-down. And so by this logic, not only do Americans usually not use bidets, we seem to be categorically opposed to them because Americans are the largest consumers of toilet paper in the world. According to the consumer data provider Statista, the average American will use 141 rolls of toilet paper per year, about twice as much as a French person. We love it. It is, after all, the thing Americans reached for when the pandemic struck. You went into any supermarket and all of the toilet paper was gone. Does it say that we have some pressing desire to feel clean? In April of 2020, writer Sasha von Oldershausen wrote an article for The New York Times called Is It Time for Americans to Embrace the Bidet? I had been wanting to write a piece like this for such a long time. And then obviously COVID happened and there was this toilet paper panic. And I was like, this is my moment. This is it. Sasha has been thinking about the way Americans clean their butts for more or less her whole life. My mom is Iranian and the bathroom habits in Iran are such that you are using water to clean yourself. Um, after using the bathroom, not just when you're pooping. More traditionally, you would have like a watering can next to your toilet. So in Sasha's childhood home in Queens, there was a watering can in every bathroom. And it was constantly a thing that friends would be asking me about. And I, w- I was ashamed of it. Did you ever start lying about it? I think I did. Yeah, I think I, I said like, that's just where we keep the watering cans for watering our plants. Oh. And then... <laughs> in every bathroom in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then at some point I was like, fuck it, I'm going to embrace this. My butt is clean. As any bidet evangelist would put it, using water just makes sense. You use water for most cleaning, you know? You wouldn't just, like, wipe something, something, like, gross with just a piece of paper. Like if a bird pooped on you, you wouldn't feel totally clean if I just handed you a piece of toilet paper to clean it off. You know, it's just not effective. Yeah, yeah, it's not when you think about it. But oddly enough, the way most Americans treat their butts is sort of a last vestige of the way Europeans used to think about cleaning the whole body, which was that water is not necessary and all you needed were clean linens. Well, what people were doing before was not washing, but changing their underwear, or what we would call their underwear. Professor Peter Ward is author of The Clean Body, A Modern History. And he says that before there was a widespread culture of bathing, the people who could afford it would just change their undergarments a lot. So like, you know how in old portraits, people have these wild, lacy, elaborate collars or some sort of white ruffled cuffs on their sleeves? What they're doing is showing off their clean underwear. Just take a guess how often Louis XIV bathed. He bathed twice in his entire life. Once when he was 27 years old and once when he was 28. And that's it. He changed his underwear many times a day, but he was a very wealthy man and he could afford to change often. I mean, historically, water was kind of a weird choice for cleaning because water itself was not particularly fresh and clean. And it was a drag to go get water from a central location and heat it up. 
So, Professor Ward writes, if you had to clean yourself at all, it made sense to only wash the parts of your body that would get dirty. Usually your hands, sometimes your feet, but never the head. Heads were only for baptisms. So rather than a full bath or shower, the idea was that you would do partial washing. And that's where the bidet came in, because in 1600s France, if no one had a tub or a shower and you were only going to wash yourself in parts, having a tiny, specialized little bird bath just for your privates was the height of luxury. There were lots of bidets. Uh, they were mostly found in the homes of well-to-do and wealthy people. The bidet has long been divided by class, but the real curiosity is why it caught on with rich people in some countries and not others. And part of why the bidet never caught on in American bathrooms is because the American trinity of bathroom features was modeled after the English bathroom. And Professor Ward theorizes that the bidet never really appeared in the bathrooms of England because there wasn't as much of a need for them. The places where the bidet was widely adopted were places that were late to the hygienic revolution. England was at the forefront of the hygienic revolution. And England found themselves having to be at the forefront because the Thames basically became so full of sewage that it was going to get to the point where it couldn't be ignored anymore. Some hot, dry summer was going to come around eventually. According to science journalist Chelsea Wald, the summer of 1868 became known as the Great Stink. It rendered London essentially uninhabitable. And Parliament had to, like, close. You know, people left the city um, and they were basically forced to fund a big sewerage project um, that they had been sort of putting off, contemplating. I just love that the poop had to shut down Parliament in order for London to finally install this big organized central sewage system that took all the waste out of the city. And it was immediately deemed a superior system, a hallmark of civilization. It became the gold standard um, for sewage. So people started adopting it all over. So America aspired to the British model, which like maybe explains why most Americans didn't have bidets in their bathrooms in the first place. But it doesn't explain the active resistance that bidets faced each time they have tried to make their way stateside. Like in this 1970s New York Times article about bidets, there's a quote from a tenant shocked by his building's pre-installed, very fancy bidet fixtures. He says, I'll certainly have to take that out because, quote, I have a teenage daughter, which directly gets to what Professor Ward calls the bidet's aura of disrepute. Bidets, uh, historically, were associated uh, with licentious behavior, sexual behavior, uh, particularly among prostitutes. Because true bidets, not bidet attachments, were essentially low basins you'd have to straddle. So bidet actually translates to little pony. Tee-hee. If you uh, look at pornographic materials from the 18th and 19th century, you often see bidets um, in these pictures. Bidets gained a reputation for being exotic and titillating in the English-speaking world. During World War II, uh, the American soldiers would sometimes go to French brothels and they would see bidets in French brothels. And so they associated bidets as something phallic and sexual and bad to the puritanical American mindset. And as Mickey Agarwal sees it, her work is getting Americans to shake that mindset. Of course, I'm half Japanese, half Indian. And so I grew up knowing about bidets. 
Mickey Agarwal is the founder of Tushy, a company whose best-known product is a bidet attachment that costs around $100. And you clip it to your existing toilet in 10 minutes, turns any toilet into bidet. Mickey's whole thing is that she is pretty much the opposite of the Toto representative when it comes to talking exactly about what bidets are for. If you have to go pee or poop, or if you're a woman on your period, if it's before sex, after sex, if you're, you know, you have any kind of anything down there, it just washes you perfectly clean. Tushy's ads were rejected from the New York City subway because they went against an MTA policy preventing ads that contain, quote, profanity or slang terms for the genitals or anus, which I think is a tad pearl clutchy. But also, the way Mickey Agarwal sells Tushy is not exactly uncoupling the bidet from ye old timey sexual implications. If anything, Mickey is doubling down on them. I actually feel sexy. I don't feel scared for anyone to go down on me or to like whatever because I feel really clean. Although, Tushy's origin story is significantly less sexy. Mickey first started using a bidet out of medical necessity. She says she developed a thyroid condition that made her poop a lot. So eventually, because my butt was so in pain and so raw that I had to jump in the shower every single time I went to the bathroom, like eight times a day. And then Mickey's partner bought her a bidet attachment, which Mickey said totally changed her life overnight. But it just looked so ugly. It was like some like medically looking, like kind of geriatric, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with it, but like kind of like product, you know, that was super not cool and not relevant and made you feel embarrassed to have it in your bathroom. So if you want to make bidets something cool and relevant, you're probably not going to angle it as something for people with hemorrhoids and anal fissures. No. Tushy's design is sleek and iPhone white and sold with a sexy, cheeky packaging. I mean, Tushy sells shirts that say, ask me about my butthole. And in 2019, Tushy hosted a promotional event called ButtCon, which writer Sasha von Oldershausen went to cover. There were porn stars there. There were, like, people promoting some sort of, like, lubricant or, like, douche for having anal sex. And, of course, Mickey herself was there, wearing an assless skirt. She was just, like, parading around with, like, a felt hat on and, like, her ass out. (laughs) So, obviously, Mickey is extremely open about bodily functions and sexuality. But I can't bring that up without acknowledging that in the past, she's been accused of taking this too far. Mickey started another taboo-busting company before Tushy called Thinks, which makes period-proof underwear. In 2017, a former Thinks employee filed a sexual harassment complaint against Mickey, alleging inappropriate touching and comments. Mickey denied the allegations, and the complaint was settled confidentially. Mickey told me she has a different role at Tushy than she did at Thinks. With Tushy, I put a legit senior leadership team in place. I didn't do that at my last company. And Tushy is definitely giving bidets new life, especially post-toilet paper panic. We have 5x star our revenue in 2020. Sasha von Oldershausen just wonders why it took so long for an affordable bidet attachment to come on the American bathroom market in the first place. People must have tried this before Tushy existed, right? I can't imagine for like all of the entrepreneurs and business-minded people out there that someone wasn't like, oh, bidets, like what, they're great. Like, why don't we make this a huge industry in the United States? So it turns out other Americans have tried. While the French get credit for the bidet, many say the bidet attachment for the toilet was invented by an American. In the 1960s, a guy in Brooklyn named Arnold Cohen wanted to help his aging parents who had GI tract troubles. So he designed a butt washer. 
I mean, we're talking about um, late 60s-ish. He, he tried to market that product in the United States, didn't find a lot of traction. Americans just did not want bidets. So Arnold Cohen licensed his butt washer to Toto. This would become the Toto Washlet. Yeah, actually, it was a precursor, and, uh, and we did have a relationship with him way, way back. That is Bill Strang. And I'm president of corporate strategy and e-commerce and retail. If only Arnold Cohen could have waited like 60 years or so, I bet his business would have been super different because Toto did pretty well during the pandemic. A product called a bidet was the 20th most searched item on the Amazon channel at the middle months, middle weeks of March. And we sold a crazy amount of that product. Though when we followed up with Bill for specifics, he said he didn't have more numbers to share. So I think a crazy amount is still relative. Even with the boost from the toilet paper panic, bidets are still somewhat niche. Especially the deluxe multi-thousand dollar Toto toilets. I mean, Toto's washlet attachments are certainly less expensive, but they're still thrice as much as Tushy. You can buy one of these bidets today at a Costco store for $320. That's still a lot of money. That's a dinner in New York. Uh, right. <laughs> I don't know. Still, it is a certain kind of consumer who will spend their discretionary income on a butt cleaning device with multiple settings. I want to ask you, um, have you had a chance to test drive one? I have, uh, in, in the showroom in New York. And? Um, it felt good. Um... Was this, I don't was know this... how much you want to know. I, I didn't feel <laughs> was like... It, was, it startling? <laughs> was it startling at first or was it like, oh, oh okay, yeah, I, I get it. It was startling. It was pleasant. I didn't realize that it wasn't timed. I didn't realize it would just sort of like keep going until I said stop. So uh, it just, I let it go on a long time and it was <laughs> very pleasurable. Uh, I was not as dry as I thought that I would be, but maybe that just takes some getting used to after I use the dryer. Is this too much information? Is this actually no. what you want to know? Like, That's exactly I don't what know. I want to know. That's okay. exactly what I want to know. And, and so <laughs> when people begin to use this product at first, it, it's a little bit, you know, people are like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> okay. So this is what's really interesting to me. Both Toto and Tushy promote the pleasurable and luxurious aspects of having your butt cleaned with water. But at the same time, they also insist the bidet is not only about pleasure and luxury. Tushy and Toto both talk about the benefits of bidet attachments for various butt ailments. And both cite the environmental benefits of using less toilet paper. And we can leave trees to do their job, which is to be beautiful and protect the earth. We're literally chopping down these old growth forests to make toilet paper that doesn't even properly clean us. Sure, yes, using less paper is good, and I'm going to get back to this. But it's kind of like the same thing that came up around the anal fissures and the hypothyroidism. Like, that may be true, but it's not glamorous to talk about. Same with the idea that the bidet could potentially liberate you from toilet paper. Like, you're not going to advertise that. Being stranded in a bathroom without enough toilet paper is a national nightmare. It's not a selling point. And so... To win hearts and minds, and butts, Tushy and Toto end up falling back into the stereotypes that have historically turned Americans off from bidets. I mean, they end up pitching the bidet as something racy or luxurious, and it ends up holding up the bidet's reputation as something freaky and fancy. It's a losing game. 
Because I think the fundamental problem is that Americans just have a complex relationship with pleasure and luxury on the toilet. Professor Peter Ward says that's just not how we think. It's hard for me to imagine uh, a major change of mind that would make a bidet a necessity. And the traditional bathroom is furnished with necessities. Because we, we want the bathroom to be a practical, not a luxurious place? That, that's right, yes. So yeah, I think the reason it took a pandemic to make water cleaning more popular was that it was in the name of raw utility. It was for lack of other options. And who is to say if that moment of bidet acceptance was a weird little blip or not? It all really boils down to how Americans feel about their butts. So let's just go there after the break. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. When Sasha von Oldershausen was telling me that she uses a watering can to clean her butt, I didn't quite get it. So I had to ask her point blank for her full methodology. This is the process. I, I'll give it a wipe. And then I take the watering can. I put it between my legs, pour the water and kind of use my hand to like direct the flow, like kind of like patting the water so it, it will come in contact with my butt. And then once I feel like I am adequately clean, I will put down the watering can, take another piece of toilet paper and wipe myself dry. And then it's like, you know, the f sensation you have when you like wash your face and you like put your face into a towel. That's what it feels like. Your butt just feels like so clean and just like pat dry. It's really nice. That's what's missing when you just have toilet paper is like that fresh feeling. I personally cannot imagine putting down whatever I'm reading and using both hands to get to that clean feeling. Like, even if it does feel good, I just don't think I have the time. When I'm on the john, I am more or less ignoring what my body is doing and probably multitasking. So Sasha and my speculation about the bidet ultimately came down to this. Yeah, I do think it probably comes back on some level to like, I, I mean, why are people so weird about their buttholes? You're making me realize it'd be so fun to talk to like a Freudian analyst about yeah. why we don't use bidets. He would say typical American fear of dirt because of a fascination with shit. Listener discretion is advised. Please take the theories of Sigmund Freud with a massive shaker of salt. It's fun to talk about it. I think it's fun to play <laughs> with it. And I do think there's I think there's some truth in it. So that's actually not a Freudian analyst, although he did write the book Psychoanalysis as History, Negation and Freedom in Freud. I'm Michael Roth, and I'm the president of Wesleyan University. I took a philosophy class he taught, and I just thought President Roth would be the perfect person to make some very overeducated guesses about why Americans are obsessed with being fresh and clean everywhere except their butts. Like, we shower constantly. And, and so we don't want a bidet because if we had a bidet, we'd have to admit that we had something that we hadn't cleaned already. Oh. And so 
so that we're afraid of our buttholes because they, they remind us of things we just can't contain and things that are never clean enough. So, I mean, when we say things we can't contain. Oh, uh, well, shit to start with, but, <laughs> but, but we, you can't contain love. You can't contain desire. You can't contain wanting to be dominated. There's so many things that we can't control our affection for, our longing for. And so we hold them in, <laughs> we hold them in, but you know, eventually you have to let them go. And if you want to continue with this metaphor, you could look at the cultures where the bidet has not taken off, like England and America, and see they were rooted in Protestantism. And you could note that France and Italy are Catholic. And you could argue that Catholicism is supposed to acknowledge that life has parts that are unclean and dirty. That's why we go to confession. Of course. That's why we know there's shit happens. The the priest tells you, go and say these uh, Hail Marys or whatever it is, and you are washed clean. Right. In Protestant uh, America and in England, you're never going to get clean. Come on. (laughs) You're not going to get clean. You can confess all you want. What's a sign? What's a sign that you're saved, that you're working really, really hard? Not that you're sitting on a warm day, right? But right. you're working really hard to accumulate more money to show that you've been elected by God for salvation. And so I think that in the United States, that the obsession with with cleanliness has to be protected from the temptation of pleasure. Because, yeah, the butt is a pleasurable spot. But of course, there's also some homophobia there. One of the things that's so interesting that people are like, uh, it, you know, like, is it going to make me gay? Like, literally. Mickey Agrawal again. People ask us that all the time. And we're like, first of all, like, hopefully. <laughs> and second of all, it doesn't go inside your butt. It goes on your butt. It's just too close. It's just too close to those places that are hard to deny the pleasure comes from. And that Protestant work ethic that strictly separates work from pleasure makes taking care of our body a duty and an obligation, not a joy. And this doesn't only happen in the bathroom. President Roth says you can see this at play when you're eating. In an American restaurant, it is customary for a server to ask. Are you still working on that? And that's like, that's eating. Is that supposed to be work? More than pleasure? You can also think about this in the context of American drug use. We are heavily medicated in the name of betterment and efficiency and optimization. But taking drugs for pleasure. Oh, no, I would never do such a thing, you know. Um, and, and, and so I think that keeping pleasure and hygiene separate is a big part of the American allergy to bidets. Nothing is taken seriously if it's pleasurable. Work has to be something separate. And it's weird because while pleasure might be a bridge too far, we do want comfort because we use a ton of toilet paper and we need that paper to be soft and multiply and cushiony and we need a lot of it. I think uh, Americans will continue to use far too much toilet paper. I mean, of all things, to hoard, right? Fucking incredible, isn't it? I mean, of all things to hoard, toilet paper. But sometimes I wonder if this is a silly hill to die on. If trying to get Americans weaned off toilet paper is like trying to tell a little kid to let go of blankie, maybe we should just let people have their comfort where they can find it, right? 
we feel weird about our butts, and it may or may not be from some deep-seated wounds that may or may not stretch back to the ethos under which this country was colonized. And sure, should we use less toilet paper that's less thick and maybe made from recycled material? Absolutely, you bet. But bidets might not have the ecological edge that they say they do. I think most people, when they think of making toilets more environmentally friendly, they think of using less water. So it's really interesting that conversely, people are like, let's wash with water. When science journalist Chelsea Wald wrote her book, Pipe Dreams, The Urgent Global Quest to Transform the Toilet, she barely mentions bidets. Can I just ask, like, why not focus on the bidet? I mean, that's just not what I saw the innovators thinking about the future of the toilet being very concerned about. I kind of think that, like, using more water in your toilet isn't necessarily a solution. Of course, toilet paper is wasteful, and we should use less of it and use recycled toilet paper if if that's your preference. But, um, um, you know, turning your toilet into a an energy-using device... <laughs> Suffice it to say that I think that there's like bigger changes that we could make um, that are more significant in terms of the advantages that they would have environmentally. There are composting toilets and there are vacuum toilets that look like the ones you see in airplanes that use very little water. But that is essentially the opposite of a Toto toilet, which will warm your water and dry your butt for you. Like who is going to willingly install a Greyhound bus toilet in their new bathroom? We're not going to have mass adoption of compost toilets necessarily overnight. And so in that regard, this is what Chelsea writes about bidets. That the role they play is just getting the conversation started. Letting people begin to consider dipping a toe into the brave new world of alternative toilets, which needs to expand. Like, we need to get to that point where we are not locked into the standard water-wasting, pleasure-denying, shit-avoidant, pristine white bathroom trinity And that brave new future might stem from what President Roth calls the opening of the American butt. If you think of the the opening of the American butt, that would be (laughs) a classic uh, way of thinking about um, um, American youth, actually, and, and being open to a variety of pleasures, a variety of uh, approaches to um, both expulsion and containment, which, you know, probably will not and cannot rely solely on the bidet. I think when Americans find alternatives to the bidet, I think that, you know, that that would be a great thing. Uh, I don't expect us to to combine hygiene and pleasure in the United States. That that's that's a that scares people a lot. And um, I'm not sure exactly why, but I, I but I, I do hope that people expand their tolerance and interest in other people's repertoire of pleasures. And it, and and that can be very American in a way, too. You know, like, it's a new frontier. <laughs> it's late in the game to admit this, but I have a Tushy Bidet attachment, and I've had it for years, and I totally like it. It's just not hardwired into my life just yet. I moved apartments a few months ago, and I put off installing my bidet until Sasha finally convinced me to. Yeah, I've sort of like unofficially become a spokesperson for bidets. Well, I'm curious what kind of reaction your article got. It was mostly positive. I got um, some people responding really positively and saying, like, I've, I've felt this way forever. I don't know why we haven't embraced it. Still, I forget to use my own bidet attachment because the toilet paper habit is so baked into me. And old habits die hard. 
So who am I to wonder why Americans haven't fully embraced the bidet? Even Sasha Von Oldershausen herself doesn't have one. So why don't you get one? I I would. I absolutely would. I think that's a great question. I'm here. I am like proselytizing for bidets and I don't even have one. Um, like I still have a watering can next to my toilet. No, I would 100% buy one. I think I've just been, it's been easy my whole life doing the same thing I've always done. It is one of the first responsibilities we learn as kids, how to clean up after your own butt. The most private act in the most private room of the most private haven that is still somehow always connected out to these larger spheres of influence and to the infrastructures of cities and towns and countries and cultures and the habits baked into entire nations. So on a personal and national scale, it's hard to relearn something so basic and so fundamental, especially when you've spent your whole life thinking you've known how to handle your shit. Next time on the finale of season two of Nice Try, the products we've covered over the last six episodes come into our havens with promises. A better night's sleep, a healthy, easy meal, fitness, wellness, happiness. And ultimately, these are iterations of the same promises that have been advertised over and over again since industrialization. But I think what's more interesting than the decision to let a product into your life is the decision to let it stay. I think people lo- fall in love with different ways. For me, love is is knowing. Like, to know a person. But for other people, love is that that, that newness, that novelty, that excitement. And, and that's the challenge, right, that you have as a designer of how do you build in those different affordances of how people come to come to love an object. Is it possible to love our stuff? Or is that a surefire route to heartache in an age where everything is built to break? Or maybe that's just the gamble of love. Nice Try is a collective effort from Megan Kinane, our senior producer, Diana Buds and Sarah Burke, our associate producers. Fact-checking by Serena Solon. Lisa Pollock is our editorial consultant. Alex Higgins sound designed and engineered this episode. Our theme song is by Greg Pliska with additional scoring by Greg, Alex, and me. Special thanks to Curbed Editor Sukjong Hong. Thank you so much to Paolo Diego Spadaro, Jonathan Zenti, Zoe Lillian, and John Lillian. I'm sorry we didn't use your voiceover work. It was so good. Our showrunner is Art Chung. Our executive producers are Nishat Kurwa and Kelsey Keith. This episode was written and performed by me, Avery Truffleman. Nice Try is a product of Curbed and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Find us wherever you listen.